You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Six days away from Christmas, where does the time go? Tuesday, December 19th is the date. We're talking Tigers baseball today with Jason Beck, our Tigers reporter for MLB.com. Jason, we thank you as always for the time. And uh, Ian Kinsler, of course, is no longer a Detroit Tiger. Traded to the Angels, and uh, what a busy offseason they're having out in L.A. As a Kinsler, now a member of the Halos, ending his four-year run in the Motor City. And uh, Jason, even though, uh, you know, as you wrote, uh, Kinsler kind of came to the Tigers at the tail end of that, uh, you know, dynamic run at the top of the AL Central, you know, winning year after year after year. Never got to be part of a postseason victory. But nonetheless, you know, talk about the impact he had uh, during his four-year stay in Detroit. He's somebody that I feel the Tigers fan base is certainly going to miss. Yeah, well, I mean, even though he didn't have the longevity of Verlander in the Tiger uniform, I think he was just as big a part of that ball club uh, and, and certainly as big part of that clubhouse, if not bigger. Uh, he, he really became a leader on the team. Ironically, something he wasn't looking to do when he first came over in the Prince Fielder trade, but as time went on, just his style of play, his competitiveness, his desire to play the game the right way, I think rubbed off on players and he kind of brought an edge to a team that kind of needed it. Uh, he, he solidified the leadoff spot in a way that the Tigers hadn't really seen since uh, Austin Jackson's rookie year, but, but also defensively, I think he charted a, a new path for the Tigers infield defense. One, which, you know, it was an infield that, people kind of saw as a, a joke defensively for a couple of years there when they had Prince Fielder at first and Miguel Cabrera at third. And then all of a sudden, not only does Cabrera move to first base and hold his own, but between Kinzer and Iglesias, they really became one of the more, I think, fun to watch double play combos and really one of the more prolific double play combos in the league and uh, really kind of transformed the way the Tigers could convert ground balls into outs. So I think all around the Tigers are really going to miss him. Even if they, even if they're not going anywhere in 2018, what he provides from a leadership standpoint, that's not easy to find. And I know the Tigers have guys who want to step up. Al Avila was talking about the winter meetings. The guys like Nick Castellanos have stepped up and say, I want to be a leader. But it's not that easy, and it takes the right personality. And for some reason, Kinsler was that guy, and it's hard to duplicate. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Jason, take us back, you know, uh, to when that trade went down that you referenced uh, between, you know, involving Ian Kinsler coming from Texas and Prince Fielder going to Texas. You know, that was a star-for-star uh, deal, if I recall, there were other you know components and, and players involved in that trade, but rarely do you see you know two players of that equal star caliber exchanged in a deal. Now they're two completely different players, obviously talking about Prince Fielder and Ian Kinsler. But at the time, how was that trade received by the Tigers fan base? Well, I mean, it, for, it was a one for one deal, so okay. there really were there were no prospects or anybody mixed in. It was 
it was more of an exchange of contracts with the Tigers, <coughs> excuse me, kicking in some money to cover part of Prince Fielder's salary. But I think a lot of people in Detroit saw it as trying to fix an issue that had that was becoming apparent on a team that had too many first base DH types. And while I think people had a respect for Kinsler and what he did in Texas, I don't think many, if any, Tigers fans anticipated the impact he would have once he came over. And it really jump-started his career. If you look at the numbers he put up in Detroit, I don't know if anybody expected that. And uh, he proved some people wrong, including some Rangers people. But also, I think by the end of the deal, people saw in a vastly different way. It wasn't just about uh, jettisoning Prince, Prince Fielder and changing the look of the Tigers. It was as much, if not more, about Ian Kinzer. Now, part of that is because Prince Fielder only played a couple more years. But Kinzer really fit this team and transformed this team in a lot of ways, like we said. And I think when you look back at Dave Dombrowski's time as Tigers GM, you really have to include that as one of his better deals. No question. And uh, Kinsler certainly got it done at the plate in spades. And then, like you said, to watch the combination up the middle of him and Jose Iglesias, I mean, highlight reel after highlight reel, that was a lot of fun. Uh, great partnership for, for a couple of years. But now, of course, uh, everybody's moved on as the Tigers in full rebuild. And uh, Kinsler, part of a very intriguing uh, Angels team. Of course, they nagged uh, Shohei Otani, and they made some other moves. And we'll see what kind of a team they field out there in L.A. here in uh, 2018, which Ian Kinsler is now a part of. So, Jason, this all begs the question, uh, what is the plan now with second base for the Tigers going forward? Well, at least for the foreseeable future, you've got Dixon Machado fitting in there. I think they'd like Machado to play shortstop, but they still have Jose Iglesias for one more year. They don't expect to be trading him this offseason. I don't think they believe that they can get fair value for him. And he's got a little bit more of an affordable salary than, than Kinsler does at this point. Um, plus, they also don't really have a set successor long-term at second base. It's one of those things where I think you forget that right around that same time that the Tigers acquired Kinsler shortly thereafter, they also traded away Devin Travis hmm. to Toronto for Anthony Ghost, which did not end up being one of Dave Dombrowski's better deals. No. And Travis is the guy that they, they could have used um, long-term, whether it's in, in the infield or in center field. But uh, you know, they have a prospect, Dalwell Lugo, who came over as a third baseman from the Diamondbacks organization. He's got a strong arm. He's a little big, so you wonder whether he can fit long-term in second base. I think time will tell on that one. But the bat plays well enough to where – they want to find a place for him in the lineup. And I think with Jaimer Candeleo, seemingly a long-term answer at third base, they'd like to see Lugo make the transition over to second. And if he can do that, then you could foresee him either getting to second base in Detroit, maybe by the end of the year, maybe in, in 2019, or the Tigers at least reaching some sort of decision. By then, maybe depending partly on uh, what they see out of Machado and 
what they see out of the non-roster invites they're going to try to bring in to help uh, uh, give them some starts behind Machado as well. Yeah, that could be the most uh, up-for-grabs position uh, during spring training for the Tigers in, uh, in 2018. We'll see how that whole thing transpires. And, uh, Jason, moving ahead, too, this is something that uh, we've covered, you know, in depth at the winter meetings when it was announced that uh, Alan Trammell and Jack Morris uh, both elected to the National uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, and uh, both of them overcome with emotion, uh, Jack Morris especially, in multiple press conferences that he gave. But to kind of wrap up uh, the, the discussion on those two, in, in your conversations with both uh, Trammell and Morris, what were your biggest takeaways about their reaction uh, to getting elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame after all these years? Well, I think Jack Morris is way more emotional than any of us expected. He yeah. really, you know, I think anybody who saw the press conferences and, and talked to him saw the really tears of joy and tears of he. I don't think he really expected this to happen once uh, he didn't get in on the writer's ballot. I think he really believed it was over. Now, part of that was, you know, this new modern era baseball committee was kind of a mystery as far as nobody really knew how they were going to react. Nobody knew if it was going to be more like the old veterans committee where it was nearly impossible to get the 75% vote for, for guys to get in. Um, even though the the makeup of the committee was different. Now you were talking about a committee of guys who played in that era and played against a lot of those players who were on the ballot, as opposed to a lot of older guys and a lot of guys who maybe didn't necessarily play the game. Um, but, you know, Morris was very much taken aback. Trammell took it, you know, about the way I expected. Um, very gracious and really constantly smiling. He's one of the most, I think, consistently positive people I've been around, not just in baseball, I think even just people. Um, and I think it really reflected in the way he handled the situation leading up to the vote. And then especially afterwards, I think he, he was really kind of a rock for, for Morris in some ways in that press conference. And it will be interesting to see if we see any emotion from him once he's up there at that podium in Cooperstown making a speech, but so far, I, I, the, the grace with which he's handled it has been the same that you saw out of him when he was on the writer's ballot and, and not coming nearly as close to induction as a lot of Tigers fans felt like he deserved. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it took, you know, 33 long years. But, uh, you know, finally, we have not one but two players from the Tigers last world title team in 1984 that will uh, get through the hollow doors of uh, Cooperstown coming up next summer. So hats off again to both Alan Trammell and uh, Jack Morris, who's done a lot of work for us here at MLB.com over the years. I've had the pleasure of working with Jack on multiple opportunities and uh, thrilled for him. And uh, I know the Tigers fan base is thrilled for both of them. That goes without saying. Uh, Jason, as we come down the home stretch here, uh, Michael Fulmer, his name has been out there in uh, multiple trade rumors, and I think fans are kind of split on the consensus regarding him. I think some fans kind of feel, you know, this is a guy that you keep if you're in a rebuilding mode because he's young, he's controllable, and he's very good. Other people feel, well, because you're rebuilding, that's a prime piece that you deal because of that control and because one guy could fetch you maybe three or four. What, what side of the fence do you fall on regarding Michael Fulmer? Well, I think eventually Michael Fulmer is probably going to be dealt. I just, unless the Tigers get back to contention with their prospects 
that they have a lot quicker than expected. He's really the one chance for them to get a Chris Sale type of deal, the type of guy who could get you multiple top prospects and a handful of prospects to really jumpstart this system. And I think when you look at the deals that have gone down uh, over the last six to eight months, they haven't been able to, to get that type of package yet. Even the Verlander deal, while Franklin Perez is a is, is a very good pitching prospect and now tops their, their prospect rankings on the MLB pipeline, and Jake Rogers has a chance to be uh, you know a, a nice fit at catcher long term once once he gets to the big leagues. I think if you could get a team that's deep in prospects like the Yankees to give up multiples of those prospects, you know, and by multiple I'm talking like you know, probably like a four prospect package, maybe three really good prospects. Um, it, it's going to be hard for the Tigers to turn that down just because you know, they need those guys. They, they need that type of depth. Um, you know, it's kind of similar to what they had to do, um, you know, with Curtis Granderson back in 2010, or even with Jeff Weaver, who wasn't that young. I mean, who wasn't that old, I'm sorry, when he was dealt in, in 2002. I think Dombrowski at those points recognized what they had to do. And I think Alavila, with each deal, realizes that while they have the makings of a very good rotation in their farm system once these guys start coming up they still need impact hitters and i'm not sure how else they're going to be able to get those guys right now you know without multiples of good draft picks and you know another trade or two and fulmer is really by far their their best asset to trade Absolutely. And, uh, you know, like we said, uh, Michael Fulmer, as good as he is, he's still just one person. And if that one person can get you three or four back, then I think that's a deal Alavila has to make. And I think most Tigers fans would certainly agree. Well, Jason, as we begin to wrap up here, I had a whole list of uh, Christmas-themed questions I wanted to throw at you, but a lot going on in uh, in Tigerville uh, the last week or so, so we're going to cut that a little bit short. But one thing I do want to ask you uh, with regards to Christmas, which, again, is just six short days away, as we all know in the movie uh, A Christmas Story, Little Ralphie, he just wanted that Red Ryder BB gun more than anything else in the world. So if you're the Tigers right now, I guess what would be – their Red Rider BB gun. What's the one thing they want more than anything else? You know, if not a particular player, maybe an objective or a goal. So again, what would their BB gun be this off season? I think an elite hitting prospect would kind of fit that fit that scenario. I, I don't know if that guy's out there. Um, you know, it doesn't sound like they're going to be able to do a whole lot on the international market this winter. And as we've talked about, it, you know, they've pretty much done what they could on the trade front, unless something comes together for Fulmer that uh, that's we're seeing until uh, next season. But uh, really that, that, that's what they need. Uh, and I think that's what they badly want. They have a lot of good hitters in their system. They have guys who, if everything goes right, can make impacts, but I don't know if they have that star hitter yet along the lines of what they have potentially pitching wise in their system. That's what they want. That, I mean, that's, that's the BB gun. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, those guys aren't falling from trees, but maybe, you know, like you said, if a Fulmer deal is consummated, uh, maybe there's a guy out there in someone's farm system that can become Tiger's property and become the next, uh, you know, Miguel Cabrera, if you will. Uh, we'll see what happens over the course of the winter. Jason Beck, great stuff as always. Uh, we thank you for the time and a happy holiday to you and yours, and we'll do it again. Sometime in 2018, which is not that far away. Hard to believe. In the meantime, Matt Waymeyer signing off for MLB.com Extras, Detroit Tigers. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.